turned on Sexy Marriage Radio, where the best sex is happening in the marriage bed. Here are your hosts, Dr. Corey Allen and Shannon Etheridge. So straight from the inbox at feedback at sexymarriageradio.com, Shannon. Actually, this is not from feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. This came directly to me. This came directly to me. But this was from a, a really good friend of ours. It's a listener, yeah. regular. Binge listener? He just stated, no, I think he's a longtime listener. Ah, he's, he's the been one, able to keep up with the program. He's the one that kicked nice guy to the curb, saw remnants of the sweater, etc. <laughs> so uh, he said, I may, and I may say that our show Boldly Go was far more bolder than I expected. Not so much in terms of content, but in breadth. You two were far more reaching than the title implied, and that was great. It made me rethink some other aspects of my life. In that rethinking, I ventured a couple of ideas that I'd fe- been fearful to pursue. On Thursday, I did a little homework, got one off the ground. That afternoon, I gave the other two a good friend, and this morning he called me, and he was successful in contacting the old associate and moving forward. Amazing. It took a little boldness. It was a parking lot bump of boldness, but because of your show, I did it. So thank you again for the work you do. You really are truly changing lives for the better. I can't think of a more purposeful way to live. Woohoo! I love it when people are inspired Absolutely. to be their best, boldest self. And I love it when it's inspiring just out of the bedroom, too. You know, that it's kind of exactly. multifaceted. Right. On, this is more than just married sex. This is life and yeah, how we do it. I love how you say how we do sex is how we do life and how we do life is how we do sex. So yeah, being bolder in the bedroom should translate into being bolder in the boardroom and every other place. Hopefully people see that. And so that'll be an interesting on how does this topic that we're going to be covering today translate into life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just had to crack up at the fact that you have kids home from school sick and yet you can still do a radio show on this topic. Uh, I, I just really hats off to you, Corey, for being so bold <laughs> in raising your children. I, will, to- I hope it works out. Yes. Cause <laughs> I'm sure that there'll be some interesting uh, conversation around the dinner table tonight. Could be. But, uh, but yeah, we have received numerous emails over the past several months asking if we would do a show on fetishism. Where does it come from? Right. What does it mean? Right. What is each spouse's responsibility? The one who's into the fetish and the one who isn't so much into right. the fetish. And this is one of those topics where it can seem weird. Mm-hmm. But here's the deal. Sex is weird. Sex that's is one weird. Way to, that's one way to put it. Yeah. I mean, there's really no way getting around it. The fact that it may be unconventional, the fact that it is unusual, the fact that it doesn't fit with a person's formula of what they perceive to be healthy married sex doesn't necessarily make it an all bad thing. Uh, I definitely think that we need to tap into our inner boldness, our, our adventuresome side and open our minds to what is it that our spouse is into and what does it represent to them? That's always the most important word. What does it represent to them and what does it represent to you? And sometimes it can represent one thing to one spouse and something totally different to the other spouse. But I've seen over and over in my coaching office that they can get somewhat on the same page enough that both people are getting their needs met Mm -hmm. without one of them feeling used and abused or objectified. So let's kind of back up to what the heck is a fetish. Some people may not have ever heard of a fetish. 
Uh, yeah, and and some people might, when they hear that word, they get extremely uncomfortable, like you're alluding to, because of past experience, past indoctrination to it, past you know guilt or anything else that might have been spoken or unspoken right. about it. But I also want to add the nice little quick caveat that has nothing to do with fetishes: is Hey, welcome to Sexy Merge Radio, <laughs> and we would love it if you were uh, involved with us more because this is listener driven radio. So send us emails, feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. That's where we're referring to some of the different listeners that have brought this topic up. So let's dive in. Yeah. So basically fetish, fetishism is when a human being bonds with an object rather than a person. Okay. And it happens very, very early in life. It's completely out of their control. This is not like a baby comes out of the womb and says, what object can I bond with? It's, it's often in the absence of sufficient human connection that they choose to bond with an object rather than a person. Okay. So the so, quick thing that comes to my mind, and I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you several times probably throughout do. the show. But the quick thing that comes to my mind is how do we define the word bond? Because what I think of is the child that has a bond with the blanket or the stuffed animal or mm-hmm. you know, that certain thing that provides Pacifier. that yeah. provides comfort, that provides soothing, that provides, you know, every one of us that's parents has the you know the object with your child that if you left it when you were gone on a trip, that you would be turning around to go get it. <laughs> oh no, we forgot the banky. Right. Yeah, yeah, we've done that. We've done so that. we're talking beyond that, but there's still similar characteristics, is there not? There's similar characteristics, okay. and I guess the difference between bonding with a comfort object such as a blanket or something animal or pacifier and bonding with an object, you know, like forming a fetish, is that there's sexual arousal. There's to, a difference, right? The, okay. That that object not only comforts them, it, arou- it arouses them. And, and we so often think of children not being aroused until they get well into their teenage years and hormones start kicking in. But that is simply False. not true. False. Yep. Exactly. It, they actually have sonogram pictures of babies touching their genitals in the womb. We figure out at a very young age that it feels different to touch myself there than mm-hmm. any other place. And they will often go to that place for comfort. But when there's an object involved you can see how they would bond with that object. So let me just give you a few examples. Okay. Okay. Uh, the first coaching client that I ever unpacked this with, he had, and forgive me if I've shared this on the show before, but I just feel like this is the best example that I know of. Um, but Stan and Doris came into my office. He is looking so sheepish because he's lost his job because he took unopened pairs of pantyhose on a business trip and tried to strike up a deal with coworkers that if they would give him their used pantyhose, he would give them the new ones. So he had a pantyhose fetish. Well, one of the coworkers didn't take too kindly to this arrangement, reported him, he lost his job. So I asked him, do you want to get to the root of this pantyhose fetish? And he just looked up at me for the first time and he said, you mean the root of why I'm a pervert? And I said, Stan, I don't think that you're a pervert at all. I think that you bonded with pantyhose early in your life for a reason. Let's just figure out what that reason is. So I learned that he has two older brothers, much older brothers. Mm -hmm. They um, are like almost in their teens by the time he comes around. So by the time he's three or four and ready to really play, they're off riding horses and on their dirt bikes and he can't go. 
His playmate is grandma who lives next door. So grandma, in an attempt to comfort him, would sit in her recliner and cross her legs and prop him up on her ankle and give him a pony ride on her leg. Well, he distinctly remembers going into her bedroom, opening the drawer and pulling out a pair of pantyhose and saying to his his grandmother, here, granny, put these on for my pony ride. He noticed that there's a difference in how it felt with nylon stockings versus a bare leg. So that's most likely where it started. But then it was really exacerbated when he started entering puberty, 11, 12 years old, and his brothers are off at college. And he, one of them brings home a fiance and he thinks she's really pretty. And he notices that she is wearing pantyhose. So the next day he goes into her room and shuffles through her suitcase and gets out her pantyhose. And he has his pants around his ankles and is having a good time with these pantyhose and a little self-gratification experience when she walked in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course he was mortified, but her response was, oh, shh, let's just keep this our little secret. And over time, she would mail him her used pantyhose. So talk about reinforcing it very, very deeply. But interestingly enough, his wife, I asked him, or I, I asked her, you know, how does this make you feel? And she said, well, I knew he had a pantyhose fetish when we married. And I said, and you didn't have a problem with that? And she said, oh, heavens no. My first husband's fetish was child porn. She said, I figure I could handle pantyhose. She said, the only thing is I want it to be my pantyhose, nobody else's. Right. So, you know, with an open mind, she was able to reach, you know, a, they were able to navigate, you know, negotiate a boundary that right. as long as it was her pantyhose that he was masturbating to or getting off on, then she was okay with that. Uh, and then another illustration that I used in my book, The Sexually Confident Wife, is there's a guy named Thomas Sargent who approached his counselor and said, I have a rubber fetish. I really get off on rubber. I don't get it. But when you think about a child laying in a crib by himself for hours and hours, and the toys that they, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, the material that they make baby toys out of, mm-hmm. most often rubber. Right. And so you can imagine they probably wound up comforting themselves in some creative way with some sort of rubber toy. So his counselor says to him, well, you can get rid of the rubber or you can get rid of the guilt. And he says, I decided to get rid of the guilt. Okay. Because <laughs> it just did something for him. Right. So, um, yeah, I want to pause there. And what are your thoughts of someone bonding with an object rather than a person? Well, is it necessarily a deal breaker, a horrible thing in a relationship to find this out? Well, a lot of it's going to come down to what is the object? What's the manners in which you go about trying to satisfy said bond? But what comes to my mind is I'm going to go at this more global from a macro level. Okay. Of take the sexuality con- component out of it and look at how we bond with all kinds of things in a fallen world. Mm, right? True. My image, my perception that other people have of me, my work, my status, my home, my, I mean, everything. We bond with our music, certain television yep. shows, yep. certain types of entertainment. We bond with Facebook. I mean, yep. yeah. So all I, kinds of things. I hear it as, okay. So if, you're, if this is a listener hearing Sexy Marriage Radio for the first time, hey, thanks for joining us. Um, but even if it's one of our long-term people that are like, ooh, this topic, uh, that's not me. This doesn't apply. I'm going to sit here and say, hold on. Come at this openly because maybe it's not a sexual fetish, but maybe you still have a bond that needs to be evaluated on what is the relationship I have with the things I do in my life and why. And then more importantly, 
okay, so now let's stay on the topic of if we're talking about how this plays out in marriage, I just hear the red flags, quote unquote, of what would come into my office of, I can't believe my spouse has wants to do this. I can't Black. believe they're into this because that's so out of the norm. That's so taboo. That's so wrong. That's so whatever. <laughs> and while there's going to be degrees of this, that, okay, because that's the one thing I love about our show, Shannon, is just the idea that our approach isn't to be the morality police or the right or wrong police, that a lot of it's going to come down to each person's individual values and conscience. But it also comes down to, okay, how do we just put it out more in the open and try to be open about it and, and see, other op, op, see other avenues, see other meanings, see other scripts that could be at play, and that yeah. then can change what we do. Right. And basically, you need to remember that when your spouse shares this with you, this is intimacy. Right. Like, this is not something that right. they put out there on Facebook. This is not something they tell their coworkers. Like, consider yourself oh so privileged that they have given you a ringside seat into the innermost workings of their brain. Right. Um, and so, yeah, the whole thing about normal, it's not normal. You know, the, mm, normal is a setting on your hair dryer, but there's no such thing as normal when it comes to sex. Well, uh, normal is is what I, I think of when you're ever talking about normal, you're talking about weather, right? <laughs> the normal right. high today is whatever, but that also takes into account the day that it was below zero right? in the or middle the of July or, yeah. So mm -hmm. it's just recognizing, okay, that still encompasses normal because that's how we come up to the average. Because that's where we want normal because it makes us feel comfortable. Let's just be honest. Normal right. is comfort to me. Right. But why should sex always be comfortable? Because uncomfortable creates tension that fuels adrenaline right. that creates for some really memorable experiences. Right. So I think it's one of those things, don't knock it until you try it. Don't knock it until you try it a few times to see if the adrenaline level can come down and it, become, it can become a new normal. Because what a ministry to your spouse. If you're able to say, you know what? If pantyhose is your thing, here, you know. True. But play for you. I'm going to go I, take a shower. You I'm, know? I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to come at it a little different though, in that, yeah, I like the idea of maybe we need to ex um, in, challenge ourselves, expand our thresholds be willing to be uncomfortable just to see it. So, so that way at least have more data to know what we're deciding yeah. to do. Yeah. But I still, I still constantly over and over and over in my clients here, what they're trying to create is a deeper connection and the way they're going about it. Isn't going to bring about a deeper connection. Right. When you force it on your spouse. Well, it's not even that it's that what I want is my, I, I, I have the means of, I will, I will, Trying, to, I'm kind of lost with how to phrase this. I think the best, but I will allow for an act to hopefully mitigate what I'm hoping to find, because what I really want is is being known and being accepted. But that's scary to do. Yeah. And so, therefore, what if we just go to BDSM kind of things, or we go to that because I know that gets me off, or I know that whatever. And so, I'm I'm letting that be. You know, satisfactory when it's not ultimately when when you use the fetish as a substitution for intimacy go. and the spouse feels objectified and put upon right yeah that's not a good recipe right and so it's just not figuring out and this goes back to just the thing way that uh, 
the whole way we're approaching the subject, I think, is that it's it's all about the meaning and is it the only thing you want to do or are there other areas you still are expanding? Because it's very easy that I could hear listeners take the stance of, well, you guys are just encouraging me to be okay with my husband's or my wife's fetish rather than maybe they need to learn how to examine their fetish. Right, and, right. And so- is it worth it? Is it really what they want? Or is that something they need to figure out? That's something I've got to confront. Just because I feel it doesn't mean I should be doing it. Right. So, yes, let me add some balance to the conversation because I certainly don't want people to think that we're saying, just get used to it, just accept it and do it. Uh, So a couple came into me long ago, um, married almost 10 years, had a couple of kids. They were very committed, um, you know, rock solid in their church, all that jazz. But she really wrestled with the fact that what he wanted in bed was to be spanked. And I don't mean just a little love pat. Right. I don't mean right. just a, you know, a he hand had, to the bottom. Right. He wanted some I mean, pain associated with it, some power he to wanted, it. He wanted some intense pain. She had only been able to bring herself to do this two times. And he said the first time didn't really hurt at all. It didn't do that much for him. But he appreciated her attempt, and it made him feel as if she at least accepted him. Okay. But then the second time he asked her to do it, which is quite a you know years later, he wanted intensity. He wanted to feel it. And so she did it and he kept asking for it to be harder. And she got to the point where she just felt like he was asking her to be the abuser and it did not fit with her personality. She okay. was such a nurturer. It just, it ripped her apart okay. to, ha- to do that to him. And she said, it freaked me out when I saw the mark that the belt left on him. But yet his explanation was, but the rest of that weekend, I just felt so satisfied. I just felt so contented. And when I looked at the mark, it was like, yes, like he was really almost proud of it. And I, I immediately thought about the fact that you remember in junior high, the girl who would show up at school with the great big hickey on her neck. And you're wondering, why are you proud of that? It was just kind of a symbol of somebody loves me enough to right. you know, nibble on my neck type of a thing. Right. I think that those marks symbolized a woman loves me enough to do this to me. So of course I wanted to know, okay, okay, pal, let's rewind the tape. Where did this start? Right. Not surprisingly, he grew up with a very tyrannical mother, very, very critical of him. And she would basically just ride his butt all the time. And he often had the thought, you know what, mom, if you would just spank me and get this over with to get off my back, it okay. would be much preferred than just hours and days of rant, 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 rant. And so already he was fantasizing about a spanking just to have resolution early in his life. And so I think that's certainly a part of it. But also the idea of as an adult being spanked, I'm in control. I can tell you how hard I want it. I can use a safe word to tell you when I've had enough. It kind of turns the whole painful experience of childhood on its head. Mm -hmm. If now it's reversed, I've recreated a scenario and I'm the winner this time. Mm -hmm. I'm in control this time. I call the shots this time. And so, but I explained to him, I was like, you know, to expect your wife to do this may be too much of an expectation. If it's going to trigger her so deeply emotionally in a negative way that she's going to bolt from you and not even feel safe being intimate with you at all. Right. You've just taken a thousand steps backwards. Right. So we talked about how just because you have a fetish doesn't mean that you have to have your spouse physically act that out. Fantasy can play that role. He can fantasize in his head about being spanked 
and just let his wife be comfortable doing what she feels comfortable doing. You don't have to actually act that thing out because as I've said over and over in my book, The Fantasy Fallacy, fantasy is not a roadmap to future fulfillment. It's not an indication of what you need to be satisfied. It's a roadmap of your rocky past. It's okay. what you're trying to recreate in order to win this time. Or another um, idea I had is that, you know what, if, if feeling pain means that much to you, because he had been a cutter in his life too. If feeling pain means that much to you, you might just need to think about creating some sort of way to experience it by your own hand rather than expecting someone else to inflict pain on you. Because he may have been a masochist, but she was not a sadist. Right. She, he was not getting off on that at all. Right. And so, yeah, to force that on your spouse is going to be incredibly destructive. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I still hear the, how does he start to rewire the correlation of pain and sexual pleasure? Right. Because that's You're, some of the stuff that can be really harmful in the long run. That that Because, I, I don't know, anytime I, I hear people with fetishes or, or different things that could be seen as deviant. Um, there, there is an element of, okay, where's that coming from and why, and, and what's a better way, a right. And what's a better way to satisfy it though? Yes. What's a better way to rewire? Because if what he was wanting in your, in your example with your client was, okay, mom, just get it over with. You know, because it'd actually be better because my hunch would be his mind is thinking as a child, if you'll just punish me, then I'll get a chance to get the nurturance because you might feel guilty about the punishment because as a parent, lots of times our correlation is this hurts you more than it does me. And so I don't like no, having you to, said that wrong. This hurts me more than it does you. Maybe that's something going on in my mind. I don't know. Um, <laughs> might need to dedicate a show for that. Uh, Freudian slip. Yes, there. it was. Uh, but it's one of those. It's just recognizing that okay, if that's what you're longing for, and you've been still longing for it to this day, now through the surrogate of your wife or something else. What is that about? Because that's not her journey, that's yours. And what's a better way to actually solve that if it can be solved? Because I still believe firmly there are several things that happen in each person's individual marriage that are not meant to be solved. They're meant to be lived through. Hmm. We, because we live in a fallen, broken world. So we will not find resolution in this life. Granted, and so that's Very where that's where a, 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 a spiritual relationship with God comes into play. That's where salvation comes into play. That's where restoration comes into play. Redemption, right? Mm -hmm. But it's recognizing that okay, so maybe this is the thorn I've got that I need to just figure out how do I channel this better. But I'm never gonna have that itch fully scratched. Right. So what's a better way to try to get it? And asking yourself, is this a hill I'm willing to die on? Because for him to continue insisting, 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 and her being repulsed over and over, it's pretty much going to destroy the intimacy that they have. Right. If there isn't trust in the relationship where she can enter into that role and know that he'll use the safe word when he wants to, and this may not be my thing, but if it gets him off, okay, I'll be a part of it. But then I know that 50% of the time we can do it the way that I want to do it, which doesn't include any kind of belts, whips, wooden spoons, nothing, nothing like that. You know, it's like, there has to be some sort of balance, right? It can't be that you have to have that all the time. Every time you have a sexual experience and you just expect your spouse 
to be the object that delivers whatever it is that right. you're in need of. That would be a very lopsided sexual relationship. And that spouse is going to feel incredibly abused over time. But to encourage our listeners though, let me tell about another client really quickly. That's a more happy, uh, you know, more on a happy note. Um, not that it started out happy, but, uh, there was a woman who contacted me a couple of years ago. She was so at her wits end because her husband just kept wanting, wanting, wanting sex. And she just really didn't. And she wondered, am I frigid? And if so, why? And is, is there a psychological root to it? As we unpack some of her experiences, uh, she had been sexually abused as a child, which you know probably doesn't come as a big surprise to listeners right now. But the thing is, is she was always expected to be the submissive in these sexual abuse situations. You know, the, the person sneaks in in the middle of the night and they're on top and she's just expected to just lay there and take it type of a thing. And so when her husband is approaching her, it's triggering her because it's kind of a similar physical position and she feels as if it's just something coming at her. Right. So I told her to turn that dynamic on its head that ask her husband to just play the passive role, be the submissive and her take on the role of the dominant one that you initiate, you get on top, you tell him what you want, how you want it, how long you want it, take charge, take control. Even maybe, you know, I asked her, I was like, what are the colors that you associate with power? And she was like, black and red. Mm -hmm. It was like, exactly. Just dress the part and, and see if you can't recapture some of your sexual power. A few months later, they're both on the phone with me going, like, there is definitely something to this. I mean, he was in hog heaven. He didn't care whether he was the dominant or submissive. He just wanted a vibrant, healthy sex life with his wife. But the fact that she had, had been empowered mm -hmm. to take control back and use the sexual relationship to regain what was lost was incredibly freeing and liberating to both of them. Mm -hmm. You do have to kind of think outside the box of right. what is my template and what do I need in order to regain my sexual power to feel, feel like I'm a confident partner in the process, right. not just a doormat, sure. not just an object. And I, I think it's also, there's merit to taking it outside of the bedroom box in that if we have sexualized a lot of things that are coming from wounds that have nothing to do with sexuality, because that's kind of what the brain does a lot of times, because that's where, what's the easiest way to try to deal with something that's gone on in my life and still keep it secret? Well, put it under the umbrella of sex, right? Because we don't talk about that in, 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 with regular people, so there's less shame because I can at least keep it hidden. Right. So what right. if... I sit there and I start to recognize, okay, so if I've got this this bond or this struggle of I feel like I've always had to be the submissive one, what are other areas that she could be more dominant in her life mm. and see that- Get some practice. That you know what? I can do this and take charge in my life and I can speak up or the husband that was wanting to be spanked because of what was correlated with mom, has he had not an honest conversation about his fetish or whatever with his mom, but has he had, has he ever had a sit down with his mom and owned with her? Hey, you know what, mom? I feel like some of the times where he's kind of an empowering and see how she responds to that, because maybe she's like, that was not my intent. I apologize. And now all of a sudden he gets the love he'd been longing for from a, in a better way. And 
that starts to satisfy, you know, and it's just. That's, that's a healthy resolution of the root wound that's sending him in that direction. And yeah, that was one of our listeners emails is, is it normal that your sexual fantasies actually begin to evolve and take on a different tone when you start doing some soul work? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely Because our soul is where those fantasies are coming from in the first place. You start healing your soul, you start healing some of your fantasies. Right. Well, what's the, what's the phrase? I have a good colleague that her phrase is that we're wounded in relationships and we're healed in relationships. You think? Yes. And <laughs> yeah. so it's just it's just recognizing the power of that and how maybe I need to start to examine the sexualized nature of things that I have in my life. And do they need to be or will they be satisfied sexually or is there a better way? Right. To at least incorporate multiple facets to it to right. increase the likelihood of wholeness. Right. And can I invite my spouse? Let me change that. Can I inspire my spouse rather than requiring right. my spouse to be a part of it? Because I think that the sexual relationship really is designed by God to be an incredibly healing force in our lives. Yeah. And there, there can be something deeply psychological to experiencing that fantasy or that fetish played itself out within a safe context of the marriage relationship. And that this person, wow, they know everything about me and they're even willing to step into a role that's outside of their norm in order to meet me where I am. Right. That's ministry. Yeah. <laughs> that that's is ministry. That's compassion. That's serving. That's empathy. I mean, there's there's so much involved in that, but it's how do we, uh, okay, this is, the, this is where I throw people off a lot when I'm working with them is how do you depersonalize that so therefore you can then be personal? Mm, that's a good, you know, how do you not take it, it, what your partner does or do, wants as personally so therefore you can now be personal. How can you stay emotionally present as who you are in that moment rather right. than feeling objectified and put right. upon? Well, that's just, don't, don't we hear that a lot from our listeners at feedback at sexymarriageradio.com of that this is, this is what's happened. You know, my, my wife has discovered my porn struggle and addiction. And so she takes it personally. But now that puts her in a stance to not really be an ally to help. She's just wounded. And I understand the woundedness. But how does she start to recognize, wait, this is actually a deeper part of both of us. How could I, because I guarantee what's being touched on in her is some hurt that she's having to deal with too. And that's the multifaceted layer of this. So The two-way street. Yep. Well, Every it's been Sexy Marriage Radio. Yep. Thank you for taking some time out to spend it with us. We'll see you next time. We love time. you for listening.